My name is John, and I'm a part of the staff at Canyon Ridge. And you've found us at almost the end of this series called The Good Life. And this is really aimed at rediscovering what the good life is all about. Maybe redefining it for you for the very first time. We started out with The Good Life is a Life of Gratitude. And then after that, the series title was The Good Life is a Life Full of Laughter. And today, The Good Life is a Life Full of Joy. Staying true to biblical principles, but also experiencing a joyful life. It's about quality of life. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with how much money you have, or how popular you are, or how good-looking you are, or how smart you are, or how your life is perfect, because life isn't that way. Prior to this series, we did a series on suffering, and really digging deep into that whole issue of suffering. And so, now we're talking about a quality of life, and that is that life is good no matter what. No matter what comes your way, you can have a good quality of life. Sound interesting? Uh, Mark Twain said, There is never yet an uninteresting life. Such a thing is an impossibility. Inside the dullest person, maybe somebody you know, there is a drama, a comedy, and a tragedy. You know, I heard this week that the economy is just so, so bad. And a great example of that was this ad in the paper. This was in Dallas, Texas. And the, uh, the ad was for jobs that were being offered for a zoo that was about to open up in the city. A brand new zoo. And the thing is, they, they were going to open the zoo, but they didn't have all the animals yet. There was, some of the animals were delayed in arriving. And so uh, they were going to hire a person it's a very specific job title. They were to put on a monkey suit and go into the monkey enclosure and pretend like they were a monkey because the, the monkeys hadn't arrived. And when they did the grand opening, they wanted it to look like all the animals were there. And so this guy thought, wow, what a terrible, degrading, horrible job that is. But I'm desperate. I need a job. So he went down there, applied for the job. He got the job. So, uh, first day the zoo's going to open, he's got his monkey suit on, and he's going around in the enclosure and swinging and eating some bananas. And I mean, after about eight hours of that, he didn't have any idea how exhausting it was going to be. And he was just really tired, swinging along, and fell into the lion enclosure. And so he lands, boom, lands down in the lion closure next to a lion and just starts screaming his head off. I mean, you know, yelling, help, 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 in his monkey suit. And then finally the lion speaks up and says, hey, dummy, be quiet or I'll lose my job too. I know of no greater need and not just in our church, but in the world today, then for more joy. Mother Teresa, somebody asked her one time, what are the two qualities or what are the qualities that are needed to work in, in the, the slums of Calcutta? Horrible conditions and immense suffering. And she said, well, you need two qualities. One, you need to be able to work very hard and you need a great sense of humor. 
understand the hard work, but isn't it an odd thing that in the midst of that suffering, she would say, you need a good sense of humor? And it seems like the world today has lost joy. And even in a place like this, of all the places in the world, this would be a place where there would be an abundance of joy, right? In church, I mean, this is where the creator of joy dwells. Wouldn't there be an abundance of joy? Not necessarily. Aren't you allowed to laugh in church? Now, if, you, if you're part of our fellowship on a regular basis, you know, yes, okay. We do a lot of that. But if you're new, you don't know that. Are you allowed to laugh in church? I mean, no. You're not allowed to laugh in church. And in fact, if you're not crying really soon, we will make sure that you do. It seems like a lot of religious people are 70-year-old prunes. And they will... And they will sing the joy of the Lord with the biggest frown on their face, a scowl. Christmas itself is the season of joy. Christmas is supposed to be about joy. Take a look at Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can look at it yourself or you can follow along with the screen behind me. Here's a passage where the angels meet the shepherds. That night, there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize Him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. What a glorious picture. The angel comes and he announces to the shepherds, I bring you the most joyful announcement the history of the world has ever known. The Messiah, the Savior has come. And yet, Christmas is anything but joyful. I would think most people would define Christmas as stressful, not joyful. Stressful. Isn't that ironic? I mean, the time of joy. And yet there's such a high level of stress and pressure. Have you already forgotten yesterday? Or Friday? If you don't believe that Christmas is stressful, 
then I would like to invite you to my home for Christmas. Introduce you to some of my relatives. One year I had this brilliant idea that I would call all of my nasty relatives and pick a fight with them a month before Christmas in hopes that they'd be so offended they wouldn't show up on Christmas Day. The problem is they're so dysfunctional, they were used to it, and it didn't phase them at all. This series has been difficult to do. It's, it's been challenging because, literally, there are no serious theological works on joy. None. You look at the great theologians all the way back to Tertullian, 300 B.C. Nobody has done a work on God who is joyful. And maybe that's why we see God as, you know, a little bit stern, a little angry. You know, he's the white-haired 70-year-old prune who's a little uptight and You know, if God were to invite you over to his house, the first thing he'd say to you was, you know, you've really been messing up. Nobody's written about the joy of the Lord and that God has got an amazing sense of humor. I I think I can prove that there's at least one miracle in the Bible that happened because God was laughing himself silly. It's in Acts chapter 20. And what happened was the Apostle Paul was sitting in this person's house. He was visiting this house. A place was packed full of people. And he was giving a teaching about Jesus. And there was this young guy sitting in the window. This must have been on the second story. And Paul's teaching was so boring that he fell asleep, fell out of the window, and fell on the ground and died. And, of course, we know the, the, how it all turned out, turned out. I mean, Paul went down there, he prayed for him, and he was healed, and he was totally fine, he was restored. But don't you think that God was sitting up there in heaven saying to the angels, look, 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 this guy, this guy on the edge, he's falling asleep, he's going to fall, look, look, there he goes, he fell. And God raised that guy back to life just because it was hilarious. I mean, after all, it is God who urged us to be joyful. Shout to the Lord with a a, a joyful sound. King James says literally, make a joyful noise. Well, what is a joyful noise? It's laughter. God is inviting you. He says, come unto me with a shout of joy and rejoicing. You know, there are a lot of funny prayers in the Bible. A lot of funny prayers. I was reading Irma Bombeck, who's just a hilarious woman. And she has a great prayer that she prays all all the time. I'll quote it for you. This is what she says. Lord, if you can't make me thin, then make all of my friends look fat. You know, I need to make a confession this morning. Sometimes I get very weary of the doom and gloom Christians. 
the woe is me, Christians. Now, you've got to understand, I know what it's like to suffer. And I know there are times in life and seasons in life where suffering is abundant. But a good quality of life is that even in those moments, there's a flicker of joy. There's hope. There are days when I'm tempted to put a sign on my door of my office. Simple sign says, I've heard enough. Pastor is out of order. He's gone golfing. Be back in three days. Maybe. You know, there's just some days that you run out of ideas on how to help people with their problems. And it seems like no matter what you tell them, it just gets worse. It's like we've started this tithing challenge in our church and challenged people to tithe the last four months of the year. And do you know what happened? Absolutely you know what happened. Right after we started that, two families came to me and said, I started the tithing challenge, and then the next week my car broke down. Thanks a lot. I ran across this article last week. And it really illustrates how things can go like that. It says Monday. Monday's paper. For sale. R.D. Jones has one sewing machine for sale. Phone 948-0707 after 7 p.m. And ask for Mrs. Kelly, who lives with him cheap. So on Tuesday paper, they ran a correction. Notice, we regret having aired an R.D. Jones ad yesterday. It should have read, one sewing machine for sale. Cheap. Phone 948-0707 and ask for Mrs. Kelly, who lives with him after 7 p.m. Wednesday. Notice, R.D. Jones has informed us that he has received several annoying telephone calls because of the error we have made in his classified ad yesterday. His ad stands corrected as follows. For sale. R.D. Jones has one sewing machine for sale. Cheap. Phone 948-0707 p.m. And ask for Mrs. Kelly, who loves with him. Thursday. Notice, I, R.D. Jones, have no sewing machine for sale. I smashed it. <laughs> Do not call 948-0707 as the telephone has been disconnected. I have not been carrying on with Mrs. Kelly. Until yesterday, she was my housekeeper, but she has quit. You know that Christmas time should be a joyful time. You know that. You see it everywhere. Joy, joy, children, gifts, candy canes, wonderful. And yet, it's so full of stress. So I've got something this morning that I think will help you deal with your stress. <laughs> You're laughing already. So this is serious. You don't believe me. This is it. It's simple. Give this Christmas 
Christmas 2011. Give this Christmas entirely to God. Give it to God. There's a principle in this that's powerful. There's a guy that I know who started his own company and he built it up to be a very successful build business and eventually had a huge warehouse. But he confided in me and he said, you know what? The, the, the greater the success of the business, the greater my stress, the greater the problems. And I said, well, have you thought about turning the business over to God? He said, you know, I haven't. I want you to do that. So he prayed and he said, dear God, this business is now yours. I give it to you. And he went home and he just felt like a weight had been lifted off his shoulders. And he had a great meal and he fell right to sleep that night. Such a peaceful, quiet rest until three in the morning. Three in the morning, the phone rang. He picked it up and he heard the words, fire, fire, the building's on fire. Come quick. So he put the phone down and calmly got dressed and put on his jacket and drove very peacefully to the plant, got out, and sure enough, the fire department was there, and it was burning to the ground. His assistant came out and looked at him and said, why are you smiling? And he said, well, the business belongs to God, and if he wants to burn it down, it's his business. Now, that might sound irrational or strange to you, But I assure you, it's very, very biblical to entrust your life and everything you are to God. You see, joy can only come as a result of a trusting relationship that you have with God. That you can trust Him with your day-to-day things. Sometimes it's easier to trust God for the big things than it is the little things. So, if your husband is stressing you out this Christmas, give him over to God. And when he catches fire, you can say he belongs to God. No, no, no. Or your son or daughter has got you up at night. And you're worried, you're stressed. You know, you're worried about her relationship with her husband, their finances. Give them over to the Lord. Give them to God. Trust God. Now, this is easier said than done. Yes. Psalm 42 and 11 says this. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. And I will admit, sometimes we hear advice like this, put your trust in God, and it sounds so cliche and so glib. But one plus one equals two. And everybody knows that. It's the most basic elementary level of math. Kindergartners learn one plus one equals two. But did you also know And I checked this out with our resident math expert this morning, Luther. But did you know that 1 plus 1 plus 2 is the most fundamental truth of mathematics? 
If you don't have 1 plus 1 equals 2, you don't have algebra and you don't have calculus. In fact, you have nothing. And that's what this is. Entrusting your life to God is as basic and as simple as 1 plus 1 plus equals 2. And yet, it's the very foundation of a joy-filled life. That person, in spite of circumstances, look really scary and really intense and might be stressful, can simply trust the Lord. And maybe in a prayer say, God, I don't understand this. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I trust you. I trust you anyway. You see, it's a decision. Have you made that decision? You know, some days you've got to make that choice a lot of times. You know, maybe 20 times in a day, you have to decide, I'm going to trust you, God, with this outcome. Sometimes I trust the Lord, and then a half hour later, I find myself taking it right back. I turn this issue over to God, and then I've got it right back. Sometimes I will stay up all night long sorting out the issues of the church. Wake up absolutely exhausted. No sleep. Because all night long I was carrying the burden of the church when all along it wasn't my burden to carry. It was God's. It's His church. Why couldn't I trust Him with it? When the relationship is due and you're starting out in your faith, it's sort of like a suspicious lover. You don't trust him. Isaiah talked about it. He said, Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God and Savior of Israel. And God can seem like that sometimes to us, that he cannot be trusted. That there are circumstances that take place that cause us to be at fear and to not know how things are going to work out. And so it begins with a decision. I'm going to put my trust and my faith in you, God, no matter what this situation looks like. In the book of Galatians, we see a little glimpse of the personality of God. A little glimpse. He talks about the working of the Holy Spirit and gives a list. It says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, self-control. I think that's all of them. What's the second characteristic? Is joy. God is a joyful person. He's full of joy. And as Trevor said earlier, in his presence is fullness of joy. Our problems don't necessarily go away when we live this way. But joy is able to remain. So let me ask you the big question this morning. Here's the big question. Have you lost your joy? And it's not even Christmas Day. We're about less than two weeks away and you've already lost your joy. Tis the season to be joyful and you are humbug. Thank God you are here today and it's not too late. 
you can get that back. You can get that back. So let's do this together, all right? Let's do this. Today, let's decide to keep our joy and to not let these stresses of the season steal it away from us. Instead, trust God that he will work it all out according to his goodness and his grace and his power.